Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. So this week we did a Six Impossible episodes about Mother Goose. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had a weird research journey. So I picked this topic for this particular week because I was going to get my first dose of COVID vaccine. Um, and that was just logistically going to take effectively a half a day <laughs> to get done. And then also I was like, what if I don't feel well? I should do something that I would still be able to finish in the time that that we have. Right. Uh, and six impossible episodes, even though they deal with six individual things, a lot of times are a little more restrained in scope to a full-on episode where we're trying to get a really broad familiarity with something before getting into it. So it seemed like a reasonable conclusion that even if I had uh, some kind of, you know, immune response after the vaccine that made me feel bad, uh, that I would still be able to get my work done. I did not. I, I had a sinus headache the next day that was because it was full of pollen. Otherwise, I was totally fine. But <laughs> I spent way more time on that first section on who Mother Goose was <laughs> than I was anticipating. It was really almost the entirety of a day I got to the end of the day. I was like, I've got to move on. I think I have answered this as much as I can. And the next day I got up and my brain was like, you haven't though. You got to go back to this whole mother goose thing. And I was like, come on now. I got I to get the rest of the episode done at some part. Mother goose forever. <laughs> yeah. And the another <laughs> weird thing that happened with all this. I live outside of Boston. Um, and the place that I was getting my vaccine was at this incredibly efficient and well-run high-capacity vaccine site in Worcester, Massachusetts. And as we were driving to it, my spouse and I in the car, we were stopped at the stoplight and could see the building across the way. And it was the American Antiquarian Society. And I was like, man, if we were uh, not in a pandemic, I would say, let's stop in at that place, uh, which we did not do. And then it was the next day that I started doing all of this research and came across the whole thing with the American Antiquarian <laughs> Society having to debunk the wrong stuff. And I was like, man, what a weird coincidence that I literally saw this place yesterday on the way to get a COVID vaccination. You may have told me, uh, and it's not related to history, did you and your beloved get to do your vaccinations in the same place? Yes. We do not. We got to drive all over Georgia, which is fine. I know. Happy to um, do it, but uh, good fortune. Yeah, so the where we went uh, to get our vaccines um, was this high-capacity site at Worcester State University that is set up to vaccinate hundreds of people a day. And it's probably 20 minutes farther from our house than most of the other mass vaccine sites that we could have gone to. But the fact that we were able to both get an appointment at the same time there was the deciding factor of, like, that's where we're going. So that, uh, because, you know, we don't, there aren't really any places to get a COVID vaccine in driving distance or in walking distance of our house at all. So we were going to need the car to do it. And getting both of us to the same place at the same time in one car was way more feasible than trying to juggle availability at, like, two different places on different days. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Shout out to that whole crew, everybody that's running that, because it was, uh, our appointments were at 1120 in the morning, and at 11.38, we were done, including our 15-minute observation. That's nice. We brought Starbucks gift cards to the people that did our vaccinations. Nice. Um, just because they're on the front lines doing a lot of work. And honestly, like, we witnessed it as we hung out. Ours were in a, a pharmacy, but just them getting kind of browbeaten over stuff that was not their decision, like, in terms of, like, when people were allowed to book their their stuff based on their conditions list, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, if the least thing I can do is buy these poor people a coffee. <laughs> yeah. I actually was not going to be eligible until April 19th, but then Massachusetts added a whole bunch of criteria to who was eligible, and it meant that we were both eligible at the same time, which was not going to be the case before. Handy. Um, So yeah, yeah, it worked out. The other thing about this episode is that it made me feel tremendously old, and here is why. Oh, why? When we were talking about Ring Around the Rosie, I was like, remember what it was like when you thought it was fun to fall down? (laughs) Yeah, I I had that thought a lot. Um, And I also, it reminded me somehow of uh, the time that I tried to get on a swing set as a a 30-something, so even 10 years or so ago, and immediately feeling horribly queasy. And when I was a child, I loved to be on the swings. I would swing all day. I wanted to swing higher, and I was like, how, uh, man, aging, not not the favorite (laughs) thing. Um, But yeah, I had the same exact thought about, yeah, remember when I could just fall on the ground and not worry about it? just giggle, and it was great fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So even though I had a colossally long, convoluted rabbit hole that took way, way longer uh, than I was expecting, this was still generally a really fun episode to work on. And I was kind of relieved that when I was doing a very final, like, is there any other piece of this that I have somehow missed? I found the entry for a printing of um, of that, that ni- supposedly 1833 Mother Goose collection in the collection, like, on the website of the Museum of Fine Arts Boston. And that was the only place that I found that actually spelled out this has a copyright date of 1833. We have it referenced as being printed in 1860 because this thing was printed in 1860. And I was like, okay, I feel like if, if the, the curators at the MFA have come to this conclusion, I feel okay about also yeah. having this conclusion about this particular thing. Yeah, it was a whole... The whole process. This this research involved um, going page by page through scans of the Boston e- Evening Transcript uh, because I did not know when this thing had come out. But since I had seen somewhere that it had apparently revived in 1860, I was like going through 1860 editions of the paper trying to figure it out. Um, and also, it is not unusual for uh, for my spouse to to help me out with um, either getting access to books or or with a research question or whatever because he is a librarian. This is the first time that it's been like us sitting together at the computer trying to find the answer to something because my 
emailed description of the answer I was looking for was like, he was like, this is, just come over here because <laughs> not sure what this is about. Uh, so shout out to him also for assistance <laughs> in trying to find research answers. This week we talked about the Nelson pill hearings into the safety of oral contraceptives that took place in 1970, uh, which means just heads up, we're about to talk about contraception a little bit more. <laughs> if, you've, uh, if that affects who all you're listening with or whether you are listening, I totally understand people's frustrations uh, with the idea that an incredibly rare blood clotting disorder that had happened in six out of six million in, uh, vaccinations, approximately, had led to a pause um, while there's a, a much larger risk uh, of a different, a very different type of clot from oral contraceptives. Like, I totally get that frustration because as I said in the episode, like, what actually happened to somebody in my extended family before I was born had a stroke that was connected to her birth control pills when that was like such a larger dose of hormones that was in them at the time. But the other thing is, I have a 0% success rate in staying on oral contraceptives. Literally every time I have ever been on them, <laughs> I have ultimately stopped because the side effects were too much. Uh, and it, like that can be a whole very frustrating process. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mine was on, an, I didn't love side, various side effects, so I switched several times. And then I just had this moment in my late 20s where I was already married, my beloved and I knew we never wanted kids. And I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I just was um, like surgically sterilized, which was the best decision for me ever. Simplified my life like I can't even describe. Yeah. My, um, my mom has had to be on estrogen blockers to treat a breast cancer. And so I, uh, I was not on any kind of contraception for a long time because I did not have any need for it. Um, and then I met Patrick, who I am married to now, and I was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to take care of this situation. And even though, like, I did have a whole thoughtful conversation with my doctor, and my doctor was like, it really is probably not going to increase your risk to be on a hormonal contraceptive, but I understand your concerns. So I got a copper IUD, and that has, you know, in other people, side effects that they cannot tolerate. For me, the unpleasant parts of it were over relatively quickly, and it, that also has been a great decision for me. So, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, seeing people express their frustrations about blood clots associated with the pill and, like, how that was being uh, compared to the vaccines, like, I totally get it. And at the same time, it really frustrated me because <laughs> I was like, these clots are so dissimilar and we really need to be able to tell people what the risk is. And we can't do that if we don't know what the risk is yet. Right. Well, and I the whole time, you know, we've been going through this episode and related to, you know, the comparisons that people have been making with vaccinations, there is part of me that wonders, and this is strictly conjecture on my part, how much of some of the problem around the oral contraceptive element of it 
is related to just people's discomfort with discussion of women's sexual health, both in the 60s, which seeded the whole problem, and now. I mean, I remember trying to ask my mother about birth control when I was, like, 17, so of an age where I was smart enough to understand it, and she acted like I had said something horrific and shameful and, like, I you know, had basically said, I think what I want to do is kill a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was that level of horror for her. Um, And I I can't imagine, I mean, that's like in the late 80s. So I can't imagine there aren't a lot of other people in our age group and even younger probably who kind of similarly have some blind spots because they just did not grow up in families where you ever discuss such things. Right. And so even if there were politicians having discussions around it, doctors publishing articles about it that maybe made its way into the press, you were not going to get exposure to any of that. So, like, it doesn't surprise me that people don't really fully understand the the nuanced difference between those and what's going on with the vaccinations. Yeah. um, Yeah, in my own family, like, my mom, my mom tried so hard (laughs) uh, to tell me that, like, menstruation is a normal part of life in words but like the behavior that she and everyone around me modeled was that menstruation was a horrific shameful secret and no one ever should know that I had my period oh yeah yeah and so I was incredibly relieved the first time I ever had uh you know a a GYN exam the nurse just said do you want birth control? And I was like, holy moly, I don't have to try to figure out how to bring this up with a doctor myself. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that was weirdly profound relief to be, to just like have the, have somebody at the doctor's office start the conversation. Yeah, I mean, I I understand that for a lot of people and a lot of for cultural reasons and just familial reasons. Like, there is, I always joke that I was definitely raised in a family where, like, if it was related to or came from your body, it was shameful and was not to be discussed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But there are so many people who fall into that where we just, like, you don't bring it up. And I I get for some people it's just uncomfortable, and I I don't expect everybody to, like, share all their stuff. But I, I just remember the first time I was exposed to a friend who very casually said, oh, I'm having my period this week, blah, 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 for some reason. And I was like, whoa, she said it. She said it out loud. She said it out loud right here in front of me. I heard it. She (laughs) said it. She doesn't look ashamed. What's going on? Like, it freaked me out so bad. But it made me rethink, like, oh, maybe this isn't the weird thing I had been trained to think it was. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I have a friend that got in trouble at work one time for walking to the bathroom with a, you know, a tampon in its wrapper in her hand. And she was like, I'm wearing a business suit. I don't have pockets. Like, do you want me to to get my purse out of the locked drawer to go to the bathroom every time I have to do this? This is ridiculous. I feel like there are various folks doing a lot of important work to try to, like, reduce that shame and secrecy and also make it clear that, like, a lot of different people menstruate and everyone needs to have access to products and support and all of that. Well, and it it just cracks me up, right? Because this isn't a new thing. This has been part of the human condition from the beginning, and yet we still haven't figured out how to talk about it or discuss it without somebody getting squinky. Yeah. 
we're probably going to get emails from from squicked out Probably, people. and I get it. I mean, I still, even now, even though I would say in many ways I'm very freewheeling and, like, open to talk about anything, but even now there's a part of me that has that knee jerk of, like, <gasps> don't bring that up. Like, I, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Um, I have to, like, my rational brain has to come in and go, it, it's fine that that person said that. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Remember, it's okay. <laughs> because we're all so hardwired. I'm hoping, uh, you know, incremental change is happening generationally, but, ooh, boy, how many years have humans been on the Earth and we still haven't gotten there yet, so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you want to send us a note about any of this? <laughs> or history podcast at iHeartRadio.com. And all over social media at Missed in History. And you can subscribe to the show if you haven't already. We're at the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, anywhere else you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with a classic episode and something brand new on Monday. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.